Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. I am your host, Faithful, here as always on a late Wednesday night, the last day of June. With me as always uh, from the, the fair plains of Indiana, um, joining us with a, a brand new audio setup, in fact, is the, the man, the myth, the legend, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Sam, it's bag alert time now for all these kids. It's uh, in approximately one hour and 23 minutes, East Coast time. The gold rush opens up, baby. Kiddos, start securing your bags, start calling car dealerships, orthopedic clinics, fireworks, stands, any and all local t-shirt shops. It's time to secure some bags. NIL is coming, baby. So, yeah, the NCAA, you know, last minute pushes through. Um, obviously, staying ahead by just a few matter of hours, uh, actual legislation in multiple states. Um, basically saying it's okay for kids to do uh, name, image, and likeness stuff. And uh, the, the the tweets and the uh, messages have already sort of started going out. I think I retweeted that, uh, who is it? Um, uh, the kid from Iowa, is it Bohannon? Yeah. What's Bohannon? Yeah. Bo- <laughs> it's going to a fireworks stand. He's he's gonna be signing autographs at a fireworks store in Iowa. Like that's that's awesome. I, I'm just imagining like while all these kids are thrilled, every compliance officer is just trembling with either rage, terror, or some combination thereof right now. 
just with the utter shit show the NCAA has handed them on the sh- like we could talk about they may have been prepping for it but still like you don't just like wing this with 18 hours notice so good for the kids but man compliance officers everywhere have to just be they're going they won't sleep this evening i'm sure <laughs> so and and i the thing i love about like the NCAA's uh press release was it's it was so like we have this under control very, very bland it was just like, uh, yeah, like name, image, and likeness is cool. You know, like go do it. Like no, like bylaws, no, like thorough uh, explanation of what is and isn't okay. They basically just greenlit it, and uh, and now it's about to be the wild wild west. Tomorrow is going to be uh, very interesting. In fact, you know who knows what what may happen at midnight, but uh, I imagine um, there's going to be a lot of interesting content. Uh, the and the early going there, yeah. But um, glad for the kids. Glad for everyone now to start getting a little bit of their cut. Um, and also for some kids, this is gonna be a uh, intriguing lesson on how the free market works and how fair market value plays out for you. So, <laughs> um, well, did you see uh, Gavoni uh, tweeted out that um that he expected some of like some of the deals for at least all American level kind of kids were uh, going to rival and uh, be better than um, like the, the G league ignite oh, and overtime league. I'm not surprised. Um, like, so I think it's going to be interesting. Like, like what would you put sort of like, I mean, so if I said, um, all right, over under, like $1.5 million on some sort of endorsement deal. It, it would depend, I think, on the circumstances. Like if you look at labor economists would tell you, like it depends on the year and everything kind of obviously ebbs and flows. But I've, when I wrote this a couple of years ago about MPJ, the market value, or at least like the marginal revenue product or what you'd expect guys to get was between 800 and 1.2. So what'll be interesting and is one like say you're Adidas and you want to offer um Jalen Duran a shoe deal before he gets to college and Jalen's decided to go to college, but he commits to say a Nike school. How is that gonna work? Like how is signing up at a school where there's an exclusive apparel deal gonna work if an apparel company wants to offer a kid their own unique setup. Like how, how are you going to navigate that? Or how would it work if there are like, this sounds stupid, but when I was at LSU, like raising canes was the official like chicken finger of LSU athletics. Well, what if like, what if Bojangles comes in and says, Hey, Ben Simmons, will give you X for this. So I'm less kind of, I mean, I think the dollar figures for those guys are going to be pretty high. What I think will be interesting to me is what's going to happen if there are conflicting agreements between players and schools. Or if like an orthopedic clinic says to, had said to Drew Locke, like, hey, we want to give you this money, but but Missouri, University of Missouri Health is the formal like sponsor of Missouri athletics. 
So I'm sort of interested in that in those kinds of like situations where you're gonna have NIL play out versus what the institution itself has signed for marketing deals, basically. Um, I think the value for these guys for top end guys is gonna be more than a million. I think what's been interesting is over the last couple of days is reading guys talk about and I think you know, you can say they might be BSing and whatnot, but I think what's been interesting is to hear guys say, like, I think I read an SI, Jalen Green said, you know, it wasn't just the money. I looked at the entire package that the G League was offering me. It was professional coaching. It was, you know, helping me set up an LLC and having someone to, like, navigate that process. It was, you know, going through actual film sessions with pros. There was an, in- outside of the money, there was an entire sort of, support structure in place for me here and all I got to do was focus on being better at basketball there was no like oh I have to manage going to class and manage like talking to people who want to like do this deal with me I just focused on basketball so I think that the money's going to be there for those top guys Uh, it's always been there we've always known the market has existed I think this is one of those situations where is the cachet of like playing for a Duke or a Kentucky or North Carolina with their brand and using that as a proxy for your value. Is it worthwhile to do that with all the other sort of ancillary stuff? And it sounds terrible to say that about a college education because you want, there's a value attached to that, but I just think it's interesting. I think the market's there. I think it's going to be, though, what's the entire package look like for these guys? And if they're smart, you know, will they say, okay, yeah, North Carolina, Kentucky, Duke have brands, but there's these all these other potential, potential conflicts, whereas if I just go to Overtime Elite or G League or wherever, or I go abroad, I'm just a basketball player. I get a straight check. There's none of these sort of other headaches that exist. That's what I think is going to be interesting to me watching this play out is do you take a little bit less money for the entire infrastructure and support system that's there and because it's a clean and easy way to to make it work? That That's what's going to be interesting for me to see, at least from the basketball perspective. So I don't really don't think necessarily that it's going to have a huge impact on the guys that are at the very, very top. Um, I think those guys are always going to have their eyes in the NBA. Uh, they're always going to be making decisions that are based upon getting to the NBA. Uh, so, yeah, you know, so like, you know, Jalen Duran or, or, you know, Imani Bates or any of these guys who are, you know, top five in the 2022 class. Like, I don't think their decision-making and where they're going to, you know, play their, their post-high school year is going to be impacted by nil i think you know maybe it makes it easier to decide you go to college because i do think like if you're somebody like jalen duran you're the top overall prospect you go to kentucky you go to duke you go to north carolina you get in front of a lot of eyes uh whereas if you go to um you know i think like you look at somebody like like zion williamson you know became the sensation that he was because you know he was he was playing in front of so many people so i do think there's some value in that but the, where I think this is going to impact the most um, is is the guys that have, like, been leaving too early. Like, everybody's talking about, oh, like, you know, he's 
barely going to be a second round pick. Why is he going? It's like, well, he's going because like his window to make money playing basketball is limited. It's um, it's going to be guys that I think are like 50 to 150. And are you a guy who who showed up and had two good years? You're on the borderline of that you know, late first, straight second versus G League deal, you know, and you're not quite sure if you want to go make that jump. Is there value, though, in staying? Can you monetize staying another year in college versus taking a contract? That's where I look at it. Well, I think, I, I think you know, you look at, uh, I think you're going to see more decisions made to stay from guys like, uh, like, like Garza at Iowa, who was like an all Big Ten level guy, decided to come back, became like national player of the year level. I mean, he wasn't far off of that as as a junior. Um, but he was never a guy who whose skill level projected well into the NBA. Like if he'd have left after his junior year, I mean, it's very clear that he was a great college player. Um, so he, he goes leaves early, doesn't get drafted, spends a few years in the G League, ends up making a bunch of money overseas. Why not stay in school, play another year, be an All-American, um, compete for a national title, uh, and then you can... like. But now that you have NIL, like you can basically make close to the same kind of money. You would make off a G League uh, deal or going abroad. Exactly. Yeah, so if if you can make, you know, like a, a few hundred thousand dollars as a senior and be an all American, um, you know, versus scrapping it out in the G League or or wherever, like, you know, why not why not do that? And I, I think yeah, you know, so I, I think we're kind of saying the same thing in, in that the the more marginal guys that have been leaving, I think are more likely to stay because you're not taking away their opportunity to make money. Now they they have that opportunity to make money. Uh, and I think it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, where the pockets of money are being made and how, how they're being made. Um, I certainly think that, um, like one of the things that I, I think is the most beneficial are people that are like not even playing football or basketball, but like, you know, somebody like a soccer player who wants to start like a, a YouTube channel can now, you know, make money on her YouTube channel. Like, you remember, it wasn't like a punter for UCF who had to like quit punting because he had a successful YouTube channel and that was being monetized. And so the NCAA is like, no, it's one or the other dude. And he's like, well, yeah, like screw football. And it's like, like now, like that doesn't become an issue anymore. And I think like, to me, that's, that's where, you're going to see the, the, the better part of it kind of becoming is, is, uh, and also, um, you know, like some of the social media stuff, uh, you know, TikTok and, and Instagram and what it can do, uh, to help elevate women's sports also, I think is going to be, uh, pretty remarkable. How much would Missouri players like, or Missouri athletes like Christian Schweitzer, Chelsea Thomas, Ben Askren, Jaden Cox, you know, the guy is in, you know, the men and women who sort of rose to the top respective traditional non-revenue sports or Olympic sports have made had NIL been here and had it existed. Um, that's what's going to be fascinating for me to see is what sort of emerges in those 
in those sort of sports and who's able to monetize and who's able to make it work. And I'm glad for them. It's if you're a distance runner like Chris Schweitzer, like you are hoping you get through four years of college really unhurt, you know, because you you are waiting for the day you can sign with Bowerman Track Club, go out to Oregon, have subsidized housing, have your gear played get gear paid for, you know, and start earning you know, having your basically your capital expenses underwritten so you can go run in IAAF events and that's where you make your money. Nike's yeah. making Nike's basically subsidizing your capital cost. Imagine if you're Carissa Schweitzer and you've had two or three years at Mizzou to monetize your social media presence and other facets to at least give yourself a nest egg. So if you do get hurt or if you don't perform quite as well out of the shoot and Nike says, Hey, your stock's not as great. We're going to either cut your subsidies or we're going to, you know, take away certain facets of your deal. You've at least got a nest egg in place. So I, that to me is, is heartening. Or if you're Ben Askren and you, you know, need a little bit of a nest egg as you go through Olympic cycles, that's, that's something that's helpful. So I think we're always going to look at the revenues at the, you know, top line sports and the ones that bring in millions of dollars. But there's a way now for the elite Olympic athletes at these schools to begin the process of capitalizing on their success. And I think at least being able to have some sort of backstop as they begin to try and make that transition away from Missouri and into you know, the professional ranks, which realistically operate on four-year cycles because of the Olympic timeline. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I'm hopeful that it really works out well for those athletes and that they're able to sort of really maximize their value as well. So it's going to be a wild, um, you know, probably first, what, three, four weeks before we kind of start to see, you know, things settle into a little bit more of a pattern. Yeah. Um, Like, I am kind of curious to see, like, what, you know, like Tyler Macon or like some of these dudes are like, you know, backing up on a football team, but obviously like have the social media presence and, um, you know, have a bit of a reputation, you know, in and around their, uh, you know, their, their hometown, their school, like Mizzou fans, you know, obviously know who Tyler Macon is. Uh, if you're only a basketball fan listening to this podcast, he's, uh, he was a four-star quarterback recruit from East St. Louis who committed to Mizzou and he's a freshman this year. I think he joined at semester. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's a guy who, I mean, obviously like, you know, Connor Bazelak is the guy who uh, is going to be starting this year. And Missouri has, you know, Sam Horn uh, committed. Uh, Brady Cook is also in the mix. So like they've got a pretty full, you know, quarterback room, but, but, you know, how marketable is somebody like, like Tyler, uh, you know, Macon is a guy with a good reputation guy who, we don't know if he will ever see snaps for Missouri. I think like, that's the hard and, part and with recruits. The... With recruits here, you know, I, I think you will see some inducements before guys get here. But at the same point, how many recruits, like I'm just, again, just because I'm more, we're obviously more familiar with basketball, how many recruits below number 75 in the composite are going to be getting big? 
money sort of opportunities before they get to campus. Like one, have the social media following that a business would want to utilize or leverage. And two, have sort of the recognition to your casual fan. Like is the average Missouri fan walking around Columbia aware of Aiden Shaw? Like, do they know the ins and outs that he just transferred to Link Academy and that Missouri needs, you know, a wing in this class? You know, is there the sort of public consciousness there at a certain level for some of these guys to where the money's going to be there before they ever get to campus? That That's what I think is going to be interesting to see because I think that's what people who have sort of said – who've been, I think, a little bit chicken littleish about this, have said it's like, oh, it's going to make it a wild, wild west like we weren't having McDonald's bags handed out before. <laughs> right. But, like, I think there's a difference between, like, a booster kind of unilaterally saying, I have personal wealth that I'm willing to drop versus a business that's got to, like, have an ROI off of it. Like, is a car dealership. There's, I think there's a difference between a car dealer being a huge Missouri fan and wanting to slide some cash to a recruit versus the car dealer businessman who wants to see return on, you know, his advertising budget, you know? So I think that's the difference there is. Well, the, I think so, you know, like if you're a, uh, if you're a, a Alabama booster and you own a car dealership, uh, and let's say that you've been handing out bags, you know, to kind of get these these dudes in. You know, you have like five dealerships, so you're you're flush with cash, and you're you're the kind of guy that pays recruits under the table. The advantage, in my opinion, for for these guys is you know now that becomes an investment into their business versus just throwing cash into a river. Um. You know, and the, the the player still gets the money either way, but now it's a it's a real business expense. <laughs> it's just like it is, it is. But, <laughs> so again, if you're but, but like now, if you're a booster and but you're now we're already doing this, like though, yeah, we're like, talking legit trade offs. Like this is this is an ideal situation for these guys because like they can write that down, uh, you know, versus. Like, I don't know what happened to that $10,000. Like, the car dealer and what he needs to be doing is doing what we do with coaches, which is they get, a player gets a comp car. Like, for coaches, like, at some schools, you get a comp car, and because it's it's athletically related income, because of the value of the car, all you have to do is declare that on an outside income form that you file with the compliance office. So you can get a free car if you're the tight ends coach at Alabama, all you have to do is like tell Alabama's compliance people, yeah, I'm driving around in this Chevy Suburban. It's worth X amount. Imagine a player doing that now. Like a local Chevy dealership says, hey, we're going to give you a Camaro. You'll give you a cheap lease on it if, as long as you agree to like promote it on your social channel and whatever. And if like a kid, presumably, like this has always been my thing, you should just let these kids declare this on income forms that you give to compliance and everything's kosher. Imagine that like an Alabama recruit says I get a free Camaro and all I got to do is like occasionally tweet some stuff and tell compliance what the value of the car is. Hell yeah, I'll do that. That's like a business realistically for the car owner or for the dealer. That's not a bad deal to cut. 
whatsoever. So I think it's going to be interesting how that plays out. I think there's a middle ground there. But again, I come down on this side of the fence. I would rather have players declaring that. I, I think, you know, right now we've always worked in a dark market. Now we're going to know what that market is. And yeah. the beauty of that is if you're Missouri, you now know what it takes for not necessarily Alabama, but you'd like to know maybe what Kentucky, South Carolina, teams that you're competing head-to-head with more traditionally are doing. Yeah, at least on the on the football side, yeah. Like, yeah. So that, like that's... What, 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 are they, what are they spending under the table? Well, now that under the table is going to be on the table. Yeah. And it, again, I don't think it's going to close the gap. It's, and this is the thing. The gap was never closing anyway. But now we've got guys who are able to maximize and earn during the during the narrow window where their athleticism enables that. And if the NCAA decides to be rational about this, which is always something you bet against, you can create some degree of transparency here. And look, corruption is inevitable. People are always going to try and work around regulation. But if you have a general idea about what your peers are out or putting on the table, now I think at least everyone's operating with the same set of information and at least you can try and operate programs in a way to, to offset that or account for it. So that to me, that's an upside. Yeah. It's a uh, uncharted territory and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, see kind of what happens and what breaks down and, and how it all works and and who gets what. I think it's going to be fascinating to, to kind of see it all play out. Yep. Um, well, this is basically a Mizzou basketball podcast, right? I mean, we sometimes talk about, you know, whiskey and whiskey and <laughs> other whiskey. Yeah. Um, but it is still June, and uh, Missouri just wrapped up a, an, uh, an official visit with Chandler Jackson, who... Uh, was a guy who um, Missouri offered what in April? Yeah, late April. Uh, they, but they'd been recruiting him for quite a while. They were on him, uh, and interesting enough, like you really, really don't hear a lot about like you know Marco Harris recruits, and sure enough, this is Marco Harris recruit. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but Chandler Jackson sort of went from like a forgettable 260 something ranked kid. And now he's like 62nd in the 247 composite uh, shooting all the way up, I think into the fifties and 247s, you know, straight up rankings yep. and their top 247. Um, and as people will know, if they, you know, follow us on Twitter, I am a, uh, a fan of, of Eric bossy. I think Eric does a great job and, and whenever he's ranking, and scouting dudes, I think you can kind of trust what he says. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, he's seen him and he thinks he's like a top 60 guy. So I, I think that's kind of an impressive jump for Jackson. Um, that makes what is this the, the third official visit they've had. So with, with him and Shaw and Mitchell, that's yep. it, right? Yep. They, uh, Se- several unofficials. Yeah. It went Mitchell, uh, Shaw, Jackson, and then they mixed in um, unofficial visits from Connor Turnbull, Kellen Thames, and Christian Jones, um, who I think you wrote over the weekend, I think perceptively are 
probably there are committable offers and there are recruitment offers. I think those guys are recruitment offers at this point. Um, I think yeah, they think they definitely want to see what happens with Jones. I think M- Missouri is resolved uh, probably to that they're they're not going to get Mitchell. I think they probably understand that. If they don't, they're not doing their homework. Um, but you obviously, I mean, you're you're putting a lot of focus on uh, on Jackson and Shaw as kind of like your top two guys. Yeah, uh, at this point, what's interesting is Shaw's stabilized. I don't want to say he's like collapsed in the rings, but he's he's slipped a little bit this spring. Um, I think at least in some of the streams I've seen, it's probably because he's playing on kind of a loaded Mocan roster. Sky Clark is there. You know, they've got Omaha Billu there. They've got um, Terrace Reed there. They've just got a lot of a lot of mouths to feed in terms of touches. And Shaw's a guy who is more of a defensive minded and kind of player for them. So, you know, I don't think you're seeing kind of the offensive production there that would necessarily vault a guy up the rankings, but I have watched a couple of games from when they were in Kansas city earlier this spring and great defender length, really, really active defensively, everything that you've seen on film, I just don't think the offensive jump has been there. Um, but in no way does that diminish the kind of player and the kind of prospect he is. Uh, I, I, you, you take him in a heartbeat. It just it hasn't been a spring that's necessarily been uh, conducive to a, a major jump in the rankings there. Jackson's interesting to me only because I watched a couple of his high school games tonight and just looks more agile looks like he has a little bit more burst this spring also interestingly at his high school in memphis christian brothers they play him off the ball a lot um you know he's more of a screener off ball guy kind of moves a little bit occasionally they will get like have him initiate some offense mostly out of like stacked high stacked screens in the middle of the floor maybe an occasional one four flat look but they run their offense and he's off the ball and so like if you watch his kind of huddle tape and you watch him at Christian Brothers, you might think he doesn't look very dynamic. He doesn't look like he's got a ton of burst. And I think that was always sort of what gave me pause. But then I found a couple of Team Thad games, which is his grassroots program he plays for, and just looks one looks like he's trimmed down a bit. Looks a lot more like he that his first step, like that first ten feet that he makes, it just looks like he's getting and accelerating out of that a little bit better but he's still built really sturdy, can still finish at the rim. He's got an okay kind of mid-range floater package. Just looks like a guy who kind of took a little bit of that step physically there. And, you know, I think he he's a guy with the ball in his hands who's tough, who's efficient with his dribble. Um, just looks really different. I think that's always the, you know, what, you know, we've talked about before is development's never linear. It never moves kind of just in a straight line or in steady sort of with a steady slope, you know, he plays on a, on a really good roster. You know, Jaden hood, Shafino is there. There's some really good, you know, Memphis and North Mississippi kids on that roster that are, you know, there's a Memphis commit on that roster already. Just thought uh, he just looks like a guy whose development took off, you know, in, in April and May. And, you know, if, if you watch him on tape, you can clearly see a difference there. So, you know, 
we talk about this too, and we talked a little bit about it last spring. You know, you may say, why do you throw out an offer to number to a kid who's number two thirty in the rankings? Because you're scouting, you're projecting, you're trying to see where a kid's going to go. And in this case, give Missouri credit; they were on this guy hard last fall, calling every day. And you know, when his blow up came in April, they they were right there. They were they'd been in the door well ahead of a lot of other high majors who got in. So. It's a testament not only to the kid, but to the staff for really having the foresight and sort of doing a good job projecting where he could go. Yeah, I don't think any anything uh, or anybody would necessarily say that Missouri's ability to identify the talent at an early enough point um, hasn't hasn't been. Uh, <laughs> trying to, I think I said that wrong but uh, they've clearly done well in that that place uh they their ability to get on guys early and be aware of um you know who is the talent who has the uh the ceiling and to identify those guys to start recruiting those guys um you know i think there's a lot to be said for for you know Conzo and his staff's ability to identify the talent early uh, their issue has been closing it. Closing it. Uh, I mean, it's very clear that they were like one of the the first time majors to really like doggedly pursue Caleb Love. Like you know, Conzo Martin made Caleb Love uh, a focus net class. Like before anybody was even thinking before about, his sophomore year. Yeah, like I mean, he was he was uh, he was on the sideline for like the Mizzou Bragging Rights game and. Uh, you know, very clear that, um, you know, that somebody like that was, and I think you knew, I knew, like we, we knew that Caleb Love was going to be good. Um, the question was, I think, is he going to be, uh, you know, is is he going to be like top 75 good? Is he going to be top 25 good? He ended up being like top 10 good uh, by a lot of scouting services. And, and because of that, like he ends up at North Carolina. Um Tamar Bates, you know, another so, guy. Yeah, Tamar Bates. Uh, you know, like so many of these guys that they've they've been on early, uh, they they haven't they haven't found a way to kind of keep them in the fold. Now, I think last year, um, I mean, I do kind of think that somebody like you know Trevor Brazil in a, in a normal recruiting cycle, you know, probably gets into the at least the top one hundred and fifty. I know he was kind of at the borderline. Um, one of the reasons he was at the borderline was because, like, uh, I think our our man Eric Bossy was <laughs> was was on him and sing, kind of singing his praises. Uh, and you know, I, I do think that with a more regular cycle, he maybe kind of goes up. But that's a, an, an example of a guy that Missouri was sort of in and watching and and had an established relationship. And then he kind of hit that gear, and and they locked it down. So um, you know, but but that's a guy that was like not even in the rankings and became a top 200 guy. Um, you know, the guys that, like, so they haven't had a lot of success with, uh, you know, and we can talk about somebody like Terrace Reed, who I think you and I both think that Missouri is, you know, like Missouri and Terrace probably have at, at this point, what I imagine is sort of a mutual uh, understanding that the type of player that Terrace is, isn't where Missouri is trying to go. Like that's not the style of basketball that they're trying to play, and 
even though I do think that the relationship between Conzo and Terrace is a very good one, um, the basketball fit isn't there. And so I don't think like, and I think both sides kind of realize that. So I'd be surprised if Terrace ends up on an official visit to Missouri. Uh, I don't think the chances of him committing to Mizzou are, are at all good. But he's he's a guy that you know they were on kind of early and and Terrace for all his ability never fully blew up like he's he's still in the top 100. He had the ability you kind of thought to maybe go from, you know, like 88 or whatever he was up to you know maybe top 50. Uh, the same kind of Aiden Shaw and either of those guys did it. Um, so you know, can Kanza close on on? On Aiden Shaw, well, Aiden Shaw is the guy who's who's got into the top 100 and kind of stayed in that you know 75 to to 90 range. Um, I think like these are the kind of players that you want to sort of start seeing uh, him, the staff finally start to kind of put together in a recruiting classes. Is, is Aiden Shaw the guy that uh, that they identified early? They got on, uh, they established the rela- relationship with. And even though his recruiting didn't fully blow up, he's still a, a high ceiling prospect. And then somebody like, you know, Chandler Jackson, who very clearly uh, his recruitment is uh, is taking off, and a guy who's a top seventy five guy at this point. Yeah, uh, they've this class feels like if they can fill those two slots, you know, C.J. Morris talked about this. These are the kinds of guys that are the next sort of step up for you. They're be- they become your number two and three guy in the rotation. And and we've talked about this a lot. Missouri does a great job filling like spots four to eight. You know, maybe if everything goes perfectly for Shaw Jackson, they become your one and two guys, but they're in a range of the recruiting rankings where with, you know, proper development, they become, you know, part of your core rotation. And I think that's what Missouri's looking for is – can they begin to find guys with a developmental timeline and theories a little bit shorter? You know, maybe they were in on, you know, Trevon Brazil and Anton Brookshire in a normal year might have been a little bit higher rated. And now suddenly you've really got, instead of just two to three top 100 guys, you have got four to five who might have been top 125 guys in a normal cycle. And you've now got a, a contingent of guys for the next couple of years that are going to be able to elevate your, you from, you know, I think what we've always thought, which is this is a team that can probably finish six to 10 into one where you can begin to start to talk about pushing into the upper tier of the SEC standings at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I think Shaw's probably on a faster timeline to commit than Jackson is. Uh, Shaw's already used five visits. He's coming off a Maryland visit this week. He's going to take um, a visit to Arkansas the first week of August, but right now that looks like his last visit. And then he's talked about wanting to commit before his senior year of the actual school year starts. So if he's coming off the Arkansas visit in early August, you got to think there's going to be, at least based on his stated timeline, uh, a pretty quick decision after that. Jackson seems a little bit more fluid. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what plays out in July, too. We still have, you know, the live period left and coaches are going to be able to go out and and see guys there. I'm sort of interested in what's going to happen with three Bradby elite guys and Turnbull, Thames, and Jones, um, all of whom picked up offers over the last couple of weeks, um, all of whom 
are are running, like I said, with BBE, all of whom who have visited campus. Do those guys continue to sort of make enough progress to the point where you feel like, okay, you know, we we might have them as a take as opposed to just sort of keeping them in the warming tray at this point. But we'll see on that front sort of what happens. But um, I liked what I saw out of Jones. I saw some tape from him uh, this weekend at the Chicago Land Summer uh, Shootout, which was uh, basically high school teams went up and played there. He looked really good in some tape there. Um, a couple weeks ago, I tweeted out that I really liked Connor Turnbull's game. I think he's got some facets of a modern stretch five. And I know you're a big, big Thames fan. I haven't seen as much tape on Thames. So just what do you like about Kellen? What do you sort of think makes him an, an intriguing prospect at this point? Well, he's not, he's not a, uh, a standout athlete. I mean, he's not a guy that's going to um, explode off the screen or anything like that. He's, uh, he's a high IQ player. He's a really, really intelligent basketball player. Uh, he's got a really good frame and good size. So, it, like, his positional size and frame, he has some lateral quickness. Um, I think even at, like, 6'5", I think he's kind of listed at right now, he, which looks about right. Um, and he kind of lists himself as a combo guard. Like, I think that's that's really good positional size. And he's just a he's very fluid with the ball. So... Um, you know, I did kind of talk to a, a couple scouts, you know, after the Turnbull and, uh, and Thames offers. And I think people were, were a little higher on Turnbull than they were on Thames. And I think that right now, my, my initial take is that I think people are kind of selling, um, Kellen a little bit short. Um, I think in general, a lot of people sort of look at him as, as more of like a mid-major NBC type player. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily think he's an instant impact guy, but with Missouri's roster and the way it breaks down, um, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, so this is why, like, if, if Missouri misses on Chandler Jackson and the backups are Christian Jones and Kellen Thames, and they land one of those two guys, then I think they've, they've done really well because I think the ceiling on both, uh, it's different for uh, both. I think. It's different. Like I, I definitely think, I definitely think like like Jones, I think is a little bit more of a. He's got a little uh, more bounce, a little more length, a little bit more quick twitch. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's also a little bit more raw, and uh, and so what you're getting on the back end, you don't necessarily have on the front end. And I think Kellen's kind of the opposite of that. Um, maybe a little more maybe high floor, his, low ceiling. Yeah, yeah, like he's a guy who I think uh, I don't necessarily know that he's a guy that you would come in expecting can be like all conference by the time he's a junior or senior, um, but he's a guy who I just really like as a rotational guy uh, for like three or four years. And if you if you can fill in a guy who, and I realize Missouri has probably you know uh, a wealth of those guys. Um, you know, but I, I then I also think that like Consul Martin at some point needs to kind of start landing guys that are going to be difference makers. Um, but I think if if you're looking at a guy like Kellen Thames, um, he's definitely somebody who I think projects into um, you know playing time early and and starter late and and a guy that you can definitely you know sort of have as a a fixture. Um, I like him a lot more as a prospect than like. 
you know, Javon Pickett. And I think a lot of people will be pretty happy with what, you know, Pickett has turned into. I just think, uh, you know, Kellen's better ball handler. He's got a little bit better size. Uh, he shoots the ball better. Um, probably a, a similar level athlete. He's not super explosive. So if, if you got a better shooting, better ball handling Javon Pickett, I think you could do a lot worse. I agree with the point that I think people will look at Turnbull's tape and sort of walk away with a little bit more, um, walk away a little more enamored. I, I agree that, you know, again, I went, my big thing is always go try and find two to three games from the past season and watch them within the flow of their offense. I, I think what I like about Turnbull is he's just fluid. You know, I, I think the jump, the shooting mechanics are really, really good for a guy his size. His footwork, when he gets into his jumper, is really, really good. You know, he doesn't look awkward. He doesn't look like he's having to think about his steps. He's able to create that space when he has to pick and pop. I think he's comfortable when he has to move and find space. You know, if he's spacing to a wing, he looks really, really comfortable doing that. So I, I think what you look for there is, is he maybe an explosive sort of long rangey kind of guy at the five? And no, but I think what he does do is he runs the floor really hard. He rim runs well. He's good at establishing deep post position early. So if you do be are able to get an early post touch, you can get it to him. But I just watch him as a screener. I watch him sort of pick, you know, pick and pop. I watch him sort of, you know, space the floor out. He looks really comfortable doing all those things. And even if you're trying to, you know, project him out a little bit, having a five that you could put on the floor that's got some length that can play positionally defensively is going to run the floor hard. You know, is going to be able to understand how to screen what angles he's got to work at and how to sort of, you know, create space in a way that's efficient and and is comfortable shooting the ball. That guy can give you something. There's enough tools there, I think. So he's sort of the same thing as Thames. Maybe he's not a guy who you're going to you know, see a ton from early, but I just look at the tools and I think, there's a there's something there that you can find that's useful in this lineup, and I think he's going to be comfortable playing at the pace that I think Martin wants to run at. So a little bit different. Um, I, I definitely both intriguing. All three are really intriguing, but they're definitely developmental guys. And to echo your point, Mizzou's got a lot of those guys on the roster right now. I don't think you'd necessarily like scream bloody murder about getting some pretty solid developmental guys, but as we've said, landing Jackson and Shaw are, are difference makers or guys that you think can make a hit that have a little bit higher ceiling and can make a difference early on for you and can become, you know, potential all conference guys or, you know, top level defenders in a, in a high major league. So uh, not bad backup options, but you, you definitely want to see them close on Jackson and Shaw. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it, we've made it known that I think Shaw is very important. Um, I would just like to see them close on Jackson just because, like, I feel like they just kind of need a win. Um, and to me, that would be a win. Like, I, I feel like they've done the work on Shaw, and, and you know, like, Shaw hasn't quite blown up uh, the way that maybe some people thought he might. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that has some good options. Missouri is... Um, maybe not the the best program on his list, but you know it seems like he's it seems like he's 
more inclined to stay local. So I, I really would be shocked if he ends up going to Maryland. Um, it, it seems like he's about the fifth wing that Kansas is recruiting. Um, and it, you know, if that's the case, then you're looking at, okay, Arkansas and, you know, well, there's wings in front of him in Arkansas. Right, there's wings in front of Arkansas. There's also like, I mean, and and Mus is always hunting the uh, the transfer portal. So, you know, I don't, I would be surprised if he ended up at, at Arkansas. I think the choice comes down if it, if it's Iowa, if it's Oklahoma State, or if it's Missouri. And, it seems like uh, Iowa got in late, so I think it's going to be, I think it'll be Oklahoma State, Iowa, Oklahoma State, Missouri, or Kansas. And I think it's going to be Missouri. Um. Jackson, though, I agree. It, they've done the legwork. They were in there early. Um, it'd be nice to see him close on a guy like that, and and have that uh, pay right. Off. And like, like to me, like like Shaw is the guy that I think that we've long expected that it, that they can get. But Jackson is like the guy that they've never got. He's like he's not David. The, 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 the he's guy not that James blew Graham. up. <laughs> yeah, like he he blew up out of their out of their reach, and and you know they 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 end up. Losing out to some other bigger school, whatever, uh, they don't get that guy. Well, now here's their chance. They got him on campus for an official visit. Got mom and pop in the shot, just like like Zoe likes to do. It's a family thing. Um, let's close it out. Let, like let's let's get this guy. But yeah, I mean, if if it doesn't work out, and you end up with with either Jones or Thames. Like I, I'm still happy with that. Uh, and I and I want it for Marco. I want it for Marco. Right? Like, Marco. We never hear, like, oh, he's a Marco Harris recruit. Like, this is a Marco Harris recruit. Close it down. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I don't have any more. Do you have any more? I got I nothing else. else. There, there's, like, nothing else to talk about. It's, it's the end of June. Matt, I, I worked for, like, 10 hours a day. Levi's also <laughs> asking for audio, <laughs> so we got to give it to him. I think Levi's probably asleep. It is like it is almost ten thirty local. Uh, Levi, God bless him, is uh, in the Eastern time zone, just like you are, right? If I'm up, he's up. So, are, are, is Indianapolis yep. Eastern all the time? All the time. The uh, isn't there like some section of Indiana nope, that it's like a couple? I don't know when, but like within the last decade or so, the entire state, like basically at the western border, if you draw like a vertical line at the western border that's your cutoff so maybe like the tip of the beard is central time zone but we are not we are eastern time baby i just thought there was like some maybe that's more out west that like kind of flips time zones so they basically just sort of keep the time and the and eschew the whole uh daylight savings time change nope we do it all now we do it all all right, so uh, so you're up late. Levi is maybe sleeping. Uh, I'm also like I'm on call this week, so it sucks. Um, but we d- we did the podcast. We got a good fifty minutes almost of of us talking about nonsense, national or uh, name, image, and likeness, and and recruiting. What what more could you want, Matt? I don't know. We'll see if the audio is any better on this one. We'll see. We'll see. Recording from a new mic, everybody. Uh, only, Matt Harris. It only took Harris four years and hundreds of can. episodes. He's out of the tin can. He's he's got the uh, uh, the Apple headphones have been put away. At least as far as the mic is concerned, he might still be using them for for hearing. 
Um, but yeah, that's it. No, I've got uh, so, I've got hundred dollar headphones, but I use but those were for my own personal listening pleasure, and they've just been oh. co opted for this. So, um, thank you, Audio Technica, for uh, making really really great headphones. Yeah, what's funny is I actually use uh, some Beats by Dre <laughs> that were given to me. Uh, so, like my my boss at my my boss's boss's boss at work, like one day, kind of comes strolling through our little section. He's like, "Hey, do any of you guys want some headphones?" And I'm just like, uh, "I'll I'll take a pair of headphones." And he just tosses like these hundred and fifty dollar you know Beats by Dre my way, and so I use those to to record our podcast now. <laughs> I don't use them for anything other than listening to the the dulcet tones of your voice, Matt. I don't know if they're dulcet here. I don't know if it sounds any better or not. But um, we got clean audio. We've done the pod, and uh, the guys from Beyond the Box Score will be back next week. Um, it seems like based on the two four seven football crystal ball, they'll be able to uh, sing Eli's praises some more. Uh, so tune in for that, I guess. Um, we're on a little bit longer timeline when it comes to recruiting, but hopefully the July period and live basketball games will bring us some more to talk about. And we'll also have some SEC stuff once the uh, NBA draft deadline passes and we know what rosters look like. And the uh, the transfer portal is 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 closing down uh, today, and, and there were some, some names that popped out. So nobody that I think is going to end up uh, at Missouri, but certainly interesting. Um, I think we're all sad. EJ Liddell uh, did not enter the de- transfer portal. He is he is either going to be an NBA uh, draftee um, or a potential draftee, or he's going back to Ohio State. Who's the thirteenth? Who's the thirteenth scholarship? Who is it? That- uh, but, yeah. I mean, potentially Elijah Childs. I've heard as a rumor. There's a little bit of a thing going on with him. He needs to clear that up. Uh, some question marks there of the legal variety. Um. Just, just, just Google uh, Elijah Childs, uh, Springfield. What? What else? That. That's all you really need. Uh, that's probably enough. Um, and you will learn all you need to know about why Elijah Childs entered the, the transfer portal back in the spring and has not been picked up by by a school. Um, but that's all we've got. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. We might have a guest, Matt. Who knows? We'll, by that point, we'll have a little bit more uh, of a, a settled idea on, on what's going on with uh, SEC rosters. And now we've uh, procrastinated like another three or four minutes of this podcast. We are getting out of here. Uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a good night.